1: issue for all women
0: Hello Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of the Sunday chops. Sue Ann Stiss is something of a grande dame in the world of women's sports. She's a writer, broadcaster and activist. She's been working in the sports and fitness industry for the last 30 years and she is up to a lot. Sue founded the Game Changers podcast, the Women's Sport Collective. She's a founding trustee of the Women's Sport Trust. She's written an award-nominated book, Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport. And now she is back with a Netflix documentary of the same name. Looking at all the progress we've made in women's sport and also how far we have yet to come. Now Sue has been on my radar for like a decade since I first segued seamlessly into this world of women's sports but this is actually the first time I've spoken to her so it was delightful to do that. You can hear how passionate she is about women's sports. We talked about the documentary, the attitudes we're still having to unpick when it comes to women's sports and why media and consumers need to fly the flag if we want to continue to see real tangible progress. I love Sue and I hope you love listening to her as much as I did chatting to her. I am joined by Sue Anstis, co-founder of the Women's Sport Collective, founding trustee of the Women's Sports Trust, author, broadcaster, legend, and also director, presenter, producer of the new Netflix documentary Game On, The Unstoppable Rise of Women's Sport. Sue, I mean, welcome and thank you, first of all, for all of the incredible things that you are doing and have done in the promotion of women's sports. start with the documentary. It probably seems like pretty obvious from the title but I wondered if you could tell me, you know, (laughs) a little bit more about like the themes that you're tackling in it
1: yeah it's it's very much a celebration of women's sport of where we are and as you say the title the unstoppable growth of women's sport but for me also it's about what that means for women more broadly in society women and men actually in in society uh, and i also wanted to highlight some of the disparities that we still see for women and girls in sport today so so that's the basic premise of it uh, and some of the the key topics we tackle because there's an awful lot to go after isn't there uh, but Historically, looking at issues around femininity and the view of women as as frail. Beings and how that still impacts sport today. Uh, so, those are the two themes that follow through. But we do talk a lot about women's clothing, women's funding, equal pay. There are many issues addressed within it. And then it's kind of told through a few uh, key characters and, and athletes as we follow Poppy Cleal to the Rugby World Cup. We've got Kelly Smith reflecting on the Euros last year and amazing Stacey Copeland, a former footballer and boxer, who talks primarily about the Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fights in Madison. Square Garden last autumn and Pamela Cookie on netball too so there's kind of like four key sports and, and lots of people giving commentary. So in the documentary you've kind of identified two
0: main barriers basically to women's participation in sport and the growth of women's sport I guess as a result of that right the female frailty myth is one of them And then the other one is basically sort of societal perceptions of femininity. I wondered if you could just sort of tell me a little bit more about what it is you think that causes those barriers?
1: When I originally read the book, which I guess led then into the documentary, um, I wanted to better understand the history of how we got to where we are. So I've worked in this field for a long time, but I wanted to understand what had created all those perceptions that we have around women's sport. And so that's a fascinating piece for me is looking back at those issues around women being too weak, we're too concerned about what might happen to their fertility or their bodies or all those things. And then, not only that very dubious science from 100 years ago but how it very much impacts all of our views today and this isn't just about men and boys views of sport it's about women's mm. views of what their bodies can do should do what might damage them so that's a, a kind of really key issue and i guess the femininity and and what society deems as feminine and whether that is aligned to sport almost follows in their kind of a, a match together but i think that that's an issue again that historically has been really important. But today, and you look at the funding of which athletes get most sponsorship and who's profiled and and which sports girls want to play and what sports parents want to push their girls towards because they're seen as more feminine. So uh, that was definitely a topic I felt was really worthy of, just questioning and I think the feedback we've had so far is it has really opened people's minds to it of things that they would not really seen and and considered before and so that's the you know it's ambition for me if it can get people thinking about it and having those conversations and I do a lot of work in women's rugby so I think having seen the growth of those team sports Mm. of rugby and cricket and football that perhaps we hadn't in the past and a lot of that's because of more acceptance of women who can be all things and do all things with their bodies you've mentioned already you think that sport
0: has the power to change the way that society sees women and i agree i think that the power of sport to drive positive social change is almost endless but historically women in sport have been seen quite negatively how much do you think that is shifting and which side of that do you think is pushing the other if you see what i mean is it not the change in view of women or indeed femininity that gives women's sport the opportunity to thrive?
1: I think it is both. I think it is kind of both angles. It's interesting. I spoke to, I think it was. Moya Dodd on the podcast a, a couple of years ago but around feminism and feminism not embracing sport for many years and that feeling of not wanting to be associated with sport mm-hmm. that kind of the overt association of women's sport and lesbianism and wanting to completely distance itself from that and that's massively massively changed it can only be a positive uh thing in terms of you know the, the being more inclusive as a society generally. So I think you're right. I think I think society's changed and what we perceive around inclusivity has changed. But also at the same time I think sport has driven some of that change. And I, you know, talk about the whole sport magnifying and mirroring what we see in society. But I do think seeing the amazing lionesses and seeing little boys with mead on the back of their shirts, walking back from the Euros last summer. There's no doubt that that is changing what men and boys think about women when they see women succeeding in something that they love. And then it has to change their attitudes to their sisters and schoolmates and families and so on, colleagues at work, when you've celebrated an amazing female performance over the weekend. It, 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 on my belief, it kind of rubs off in terms of that vision and perception of what women are and what they can be. It's interesting what you just said there about feminism. I came to this sort
0: of beat out of an interest in the power of sport to change lives and and, and what it does sort of socially and an interest in gender equality. And at Standard Issue, we feel strongly and we've always felt that we have a responsibility as a women's media outlet to promote women's sport. It's not something that... Hannah or Mickey are, they sort of dabble in bits and bobs of it, but they're not particularly interested in sport. But they've always felt that it was something we needed to showcase if we wanted to have a platform that we were flagging as one that is, you know, in the business of promoting gender equality. I wondered if you think that enough, quote-unquote, women's publications and outlets are doing their bit, because it kind of feels to me sometimes, sorry, I'm not not encouraging you to slag off (laughs) our rivals or anything like that, but, like, it seems to me, and I find it frustrating sometimes, particularly as a woman who writes about sport and pitches articles about sport, that a lot of women's publications... Do you not really see women's sport as anything kind of like beyond the lionesses, or like what happens to be fashionable in in the moment.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I me- when I remember first beginning to do more in sport. I worked in the fitness industry for a long time before I came more into the mainstay of sport. And I remember talking to a very well-known health magazine with the name Woman in its <laughs> title, who, at, when we talked about sport, oh, no, we don't really do sport. Like, it was all about yoga and how your body mm-hmm. looked. And all those things that are very important too. But actually, sport was seen as something completely different to a whole publication around physical activity. And I think it's the same across many, of, as you say, many of the... Female publications, and probably that's all the things we've said in terms of historically what they've viewed as feminine and what women want and not thinking that actually that can just as much be around sport. But, but sport's been seen as this male category of interest, so it's kind of not of interest to our... Female readers, either in terms of participation, but also as fans, and and the place to work—it's a hugely you know hugely lucrative industry. Also, mm-hmm. so that's a, another kind of key part for me. Is it's not just about participating and watching, but coming to work in sport and running businesses in sport. And and I think women haven't felt that there's an opportunity for them to do that historically too. So it's all of those things that, you know, if you look at it as an industry rather than just as a kind of sector of interest, uh, it is kind of huge and there's so many opportunities. And I I completely agree. And I I do think it's changing. I think the Lioness's success and, uh, you know, the Ashes at the moment and the Network World Cup, as we see some of those it will begin to change but it's at the moment it does still for some of them seem to be only every four years or every two years with world championships olympics world cups rather than a week to week regular coverage which is really what we need if we're going to mm. kind of compete for some of that airtime with the men's sport
0: i mean i wanted to talk to you a little bit about books as well continuing that theme around media because you wrote your book as you say game on which preceded the documentary so the book was nominated for a bunch of awards there's obviously appetite for that kind of thing, right? So I, as you know, because you've read it, and, and indeed judged it, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a book about football. It was so hard to find a home for it. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to pitch a second book about sport, and we basically shelved it because publishers are just like... No one reads sports books by women. We only publish autobiographies of footballers. It's the only kind of sport book that sells autobiographies of footballers or cricketers or or whatever. I wonder what you thought about that because who needs to drive that change? Because I I talk to my agent about this all the time. I'm like, it's such a narrow view of women of men of what people want how they want to consume sport is such a narrow view and I think it really really does everyone involved a disservice I think but then the point she makes to me is like well what about the responsibility on the people to go and buy the books you know like yeah. if they're not buying the books people aren't gonna aren't gonna publish them I wondered what you thought about that
1: I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's many different areas there. And I, it strikes me also, and I have thought about this a lot recently in terms of the what we do to kind of shift this narrative around the women's sports books. It's very similar to the print media, to newspapers too, in, in the whole view of actually no one buys the pen Women don't buy the papers. Women don't buy the papers for the sports pages. Well, they don't because it's not got anything in it that engages or interests mm-hmm. them. So until you produce that, and for as long as you've got white, middle-class, middle-aged men who have been in that space as staff writers, as lovely as they might be for the last 20, 30 years, that write about what they know, for who they know, and all it just keeps replicating itself. And there won't ever be that shift because we'll just keep assuming there's no audience for it because there's... There hasn't been in the past because you haven't given them any, a product that would entice them. And I think, for me, I feel it's exactly the same in the publishing space. Women buy so many books. They buy fiction, you know, they do buy books and they buy books by women. But at the moment, you go into any book, well, you've probably done the same thing. Go mm-hmm. to any bookshop and look at the sports yeah, shelves and it's just full of more autobiographies of boxers and footballers and rugby players, male, all of those too. So I absolutely feel, so a bit of the onus, I feel, is, yeah, those Let's encourage the women to tell their stories. Amazing athletes uh, to help them tell their stories, and some of them are doing that now. But actually, knowing how hard it is to find an agent, to find a publisher, to say, and then not get the shelf space in the bookshops, Mm. or you know, it's all that stuff. Not getting the media, newspapers, etc., to review them because you're a woman rather than a man. You know, all that marketing that goes around it too. So every stage, the awards, who makes you know, and again, it's beginning to change. It's got better in the last few years. Even the sports book awards. But historically, you look at the panellists of judges and that's been the same makeup of people. So at every stage. So I think it is many different, many different things that need to come together. And I think, yeah, it's, it's not one thing, but all of those little bits need to shift. So the agents of those athletes to encourage those women to say, whether it is ghostwritten or written yourself, but actually there is an opportunity. But why would they do that at the moment if they... They may not even find a publisher, and then when they do, there's not and they don't believe they're gonna find an audience for it. But I know there isn't there is an audience, there is interest in it. It just hasn't changed enough yet.
0: I have to say, like the thing about the, the sports book awards, like I was absolutely thrilled to be nominated. It's you know, really amazing. And then you kind of, you know, you're you're up against it anyway with the bookshops because it's it's hard to get your books stocked in a stains, especially if you've written what is you know superficially at least a very niche book about a very niche football club but I kind of thought oh great this is brilliant like I get to have a sticker on my book now Like people are going to want it in the bookshops and I went into Foils in Stratford in Westfield after the nominations were made and there were six women on that shortlist and there's Carrie Dunn who was also nominated for the the football book award i think ali donnelly I think, so for the for the rugby book award not one of us was stocked in the sports section of that yeah. massive shop not one of us and i just thought you know
1: like what do you have to do Yeah, like, what and how do you can, have to do how are people ever going to buy it if they can't see it? No, that whole can't see it but if they can't see it if they go into those the sporting shelves of the bookshops and they can't see it on the tables and present there How well they so who's made that decision it's someone at Foils Water whoever it is the retailer that knows that they know best because they know what people buy and therefore it just it replicates and replicates itself so it's, it's a slightly separate topic but I went to the Sports Journalist Awards again mm. this year oh my god yeah, I came home. Home. I'm just so depressed. Panel after panel of six white men, six white men, six white men. Football writers—it was just absolutely shocking. And they've begun to—they're trying to change. And even at the opening of it, the chairman said, "I'd like to apologise for where we are." The like he—he knew it was already awful before the award started. Uh, And they've tried to get more women on the judging. They're encouraging more women to enter. But again, it's that cyclical thing of like, why would you enter if you've ever been there before? I was sat with a couple of really amazing young women who are coming into the industry, and I kept thinking, how depressing for them to. that's their future it's just there's no space for them because they're not seen up there as winning so it is almost there's some areas that are shifting but areas like that it's about the people that are incumbent in those roles with those opinions and kind of how hard it is to to change that and actually I'm going to bring me back to my documentary but it's a similar piece so we we self-funded the documentary so we took it to every single I'm sorry okay no no (laughs) yeah yeah.
0: how hard was it to get this made
1: Yeah, we decided we want to make it. We went to every broadcaster. Actually, we we didn't go to Netflix in the first place. It's really hard to find connections at Netflix. But we went to everybody else you could possibly imagine, both mainstream and streaming platforms, et cetera, and nobody wanted to commission it. And we said, well, that's okay, because we still think it's really important if you look at Across the tiles of all the documentaries that are out there in sport, they're all male sports. So it's Drive to Survive, it's whether it's golf or it's all those sports, cycling now, rugby, it's all men's sports. There's no female sport. And we wanted to showcase there was an audience for this. So we went ahead and made it, completely self-funded with Fearless Women, my company and Ben and Jack's studio. And then we touted it around to everybody again after when it was completely finished and done. And loads of interest. People thought it was fantastic. But again, nobody would pay for it. Uh, And then finally, Netflix said yes. And we were delighted because actually, we always wanted Netflix in the first place. We kind of filmed it as a Netflix doc with the quality that that was always our ultimate ambition. But yeah, I could tell you some of the horror stories. It's just almost like people saying, oh, it's not really for us. You know, says the huge broadcaster. Well, Some people in our team quite like women's sport, but it's not really our thing. So, so just the frustration of, um, oh, of get, making this, <laughs> making this amazing thing, and then some of those huge broadcasters who, who are spending millions and millions buying the rights to men's football and other sports, not wanting to pay what was not very much at all. For this women's sports documentary. And I kind of feel not like, uh aha, but actually, the response it's had in the first few days on Netflix has been quite extraordinary. So, you know, things might change in the future. And that's part of our ambition for it. It's not just for us to make more content, which we will be, but also to show other people come and make content about women's sport and tell women's sports stories and create documentaries. Because there is an audience for it. You've just got to feel the outpouring of messages I've had from people since it launched on on Monday. But yes, it's just amazing. So you do know there are numbers there. There are people that are looking for something to engage and entertain them in the women's sports field. It just hasn't been there in the past. It's an
0: interesting point, isn't it? I've talked about this quite a lot on the podcast. You kind of feel like we should be or, or we're kind of led to believe that we're at this tipping point, you know, And then you have things like the Women's World Cup, you know, the broadcast rights not being sold. six days before, yeah. Exactly. And you're just like, wow, okay, we're really, really not there. Do you think the progress is happening at the rate that it should be? Because we are talking about, you know, millennia of ingrained views. It's going to take
1: a long time to fix that, right? Yeah, in pockets. I think there, there are pockets of places of fantastic brilliance of things moving forward and changes being made. And then there are other places where you think it is just so slow. And unless a whole load of people change and actually change, it's, it's going to be like another 50 years. So I, I, I get frust- really frustrated sometimes. And I. I'm kind of joyful in some elements and others not so much. I was talking to somebody quite senior from a team sport recently who was a fantastic woman, really senior woman in sport who was saying actually in terms of patriarchy my ambition for equality in sport like it's really not a pipe dream but it's not really going to happen in my lifetime but if we can keep knocking away at the edges and kind of beginning to make some shifts and changes then things will happen so I don't want to be naive to think that actually oh yeah it's all going to happen we're going to have equality in women in senior Roles and women as coaches in sport, and women getting paid the same. I don't think that is going to happen, but maybe enough can happen. And I think even if you look at the last few years in terms of professional contracts, in terms of the visibility and the millions of people that are now watching women's sport that weren't watching it, even two or three years ago, the, the you know, millions of pounds coming into women's sport, the crowd, you know, to have been at Twickenham for the Six Nations, mm. England versus France with nearly sixty thousand people there. Even two or three years ago, you'd have thought ten. I was down at Sandy Park, but ten thousand people, and all of a sudden there's sixty thousand people. So I think. Things are shifting, but you could get a little bit down if you if you look a that it's not moving fast enough, and also it's quite fragile. I think there's that you know thing that it's almost like that we leapt forward, and then you take your arthur ball, and all of a sudden people are not being paid anymore, or or you kind of see some huge injustices that still Mm -hmm. exist too. So I guess with all this, you've got to kind of be hopeful, uh, retain your positivity that we are moving in a in a right direction.
0: Finally, I wanted to ask you because there are a lot of big names on this documentary. Standard she fave Claire Balding uh, is, is one of them. I wanted to ask you, it doesn't have to be someone on, on the documentary itself, I don't, I don't want to ask you to pick your favourite child or anything like that, Sue, but <laughs> who is your personal sporting hero?
1: It's interesting, isn't it, because I think some of the... I'll bring it back to the documentary. I think there are some of those women that are almost the... Understated. and I love Claire Boarding too, and Denise Lewis, and all those amazing women that are out and up front. But actually, people like Stacy Copeland, who's the, I say the kind of boxer come from a footballer who are out there quietly making mm. a difference, having an impact, you know, even Ali Bowes the kind of scientist in the documentary so not necessarily those two women but the women I think that are there day to day making a huge difference for others be it within science and coaching and administration, so for me it's not anyone but I think just the women and the women that have come before us and mm. I know that's often said that whole stand on the shoulders of those that come before us but I think my job's to amplify their voices but there are many of them that had let no funding no visibility no opportunity to play and how hard they fought to get us to where we are today so I think that for me that it's almost in recognition I love the lionesses and the red roses and all these athletes are doing now but the women in the 50s 60s you know 30s and 40s that fought so hard I think it's really important that we we celebrate them too oh
0: yeah and and like even you know the 90s and and thousands (laughs) so yeah I look at the Lionesses, for example, and I think, like, you know, the likes of Alex Scott and and Jill Scott and Rachel Finnis-Brown, like, you know, there's a bunch of women. Kelly Smith. Yeah, Yeah, Kelly Smith, Enia Luco, There's a bunch of women of that that era who just missed the boat, really, in terms of the professional contracts or, you know, the, the sponsorship deals and whatever. But it's that point you made about industry, isn't it? Because now there are roles for them in the media for example yeah, yeah. there's somewhere for them to go with that expertise that they have so they're just they're just getting in there but yeah that it's that recent isn't it you know
1: yeah and that's the thing, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's almost like it's a long, long time ago to now, but actually even five, ten years ago, things have shifted. And so that's, that's exciting, is the shift that we're seeing and thinking actually if that momentum is maintained now, the difference that it could make in the next two or three years too, that, that really excites me.
0: So what are you up to next? Because you're always up to something, Sue. You've, you've got your fingers <laughs> in a lot of pies, haven't you? You've got your podcast, Fearless Women. You've got the Women's Sport Collective. What What's next for you?
1: Uh, We're going to make more content. So we had a lovely catch up meeting yesterday with Ben and Jack Studios. So we're definitely going to make more women's sport content. So we're having conversations around that at the moment, whether whether it's funded through a broadcaster or whether we just make it again and and fund it in other ways. Uh, So we'll definitely do more of that. And then I'd like to write another book, actually. I'd like to write a fiction book, but maybe a sports-based fiction. There's lots in my head that I feel I'd like to explore and i really enjoyed the process of uh, writing a book. And then just to keep growing, the Game Changers podcast keeps growing and thriving in the collective. So yeah, more of the same really, but lovely to know that we're, driving change and we are kind of a part of of seeing things that are happening here and now it's really exciting times you've got so many
0: things on the go like to ask you for all of the twitter handles for all of the things like we'll be (laughs) here all day so can i ask you where we can follow you please and then i can keep up to date with what you're doing in general
1: I'm at Sue Anstis, and that is across Instagram and LinkedIn. I do a lot on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter and Facebook. And we've got, I think it is underscore Fearless Women on TikTok. It's not much on TikTok, but we're just getting started there. And then uh, Game On Doc is on Instagram. I forget myself. We've got two of us running it and it's quite hard to keep up with all. but, But Sue Anstis is generally where you'll find me. And Game On is out now on Netflix, so you can watch it now, and I
0: recommend you do. It's a really interesting and, you know, I think ultimately very uplifting look at, at where we are whilst, you know, acknowledging where we still have to go. Yeah, it's
1: a, jo- a joyful yeah uh, hour. That's what we're hoping for. It is joyful, yeah, absolutely.
0: Sue, so, thank you for bringing us that joy, and thank you for chatting to me today.
1: Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. and issue for all women.